Well, let's take our Bibles together. We're going to look at a true story, another true story, as Josh just shared. In Genesis chapter 41, we've been making our way through this uh, book of Genesis, and um, as we've been tracking, I've been trying to make some application, uh, looking at the life of of the first people, beginning with Adam and Eve through the, the formation of the nation of Israel. So this morning we pick it up in Genesis chapter 41. Our focus is in uh, what's happening with Joseph, uh, one of the, the 11th son of, of Jacob. And uh, we'll, we'll uh, look at that together. Before, before we unpack the scriptures together, I invite you to pray with me. Let's pray. Father, we just sang that we want you to feed us with the food of your word. Speak. And so, Father, we are here gathered, in a sense, at your table. And we are waiting to feed on your word. And, God, we do that because it is our daily bread. We want it because your word is living and active. And Lord, I'm, I'm merely a messenger here. And what we need to happen in this time is your Holy Spirit to take the living and abiding Word of God and plant it in our hearts, plant it deep within, shape and fashion us in the likeness, Father, of your own Son. That's what we want to happen. So let it be so. Give us attentiveness of mind and heart and attitude that's ready to hear from you, looking past the man, but ready to hear from you. And we pray that you would accomplish your purposes even now for the glory of Jesus. Amen. And we're dealing with all of chapter 41 this morning. As you can see, it's 57 verses. That's long. I'm not going to read it all. Um, I'm going to touch on some sections. And before I, I, um, I get to the specifics of the text, I just want to begin with a, just some thoughts to kind of gather us into that place where I, I want us to be thinking about this. I am, uh, I am grateful. Uh, I grew up in Canada, as many of you know. That's a nation where, where freedom is cherished. Now living here for the past 18 years, I, I know that we are very blessed with freedom in this nation. Now, we may be rightly concerned that some of those freedoms might be uh, eroded, but we still enjoy liberty uh, that is very much the envy of the world. I, I hope you appreciate that as a gift from God. I realize that in our history, that, that ideal of freedom was not enjoyed equally by all who occupied these lands. The blight of slavery has is, is, is very much left a deep scar, but the ideal was there. And, it was and that issue of slavery was ultimately rectified because freedom is a gift from God and it belongs to all people. But what is freedom? What is that? Is it, as uh, Janice Joplin sang, just another word for nothing left to lose? Is it merely the absence of attachments and responsibility? I think it's worthwhile to think about how we use our freedom and to consider the purpose of it. Now, I'm not speaking nationally. That is important. But I'm speaking personally because what you do with freedom matters. It matters to God who gives it, 
and it certainly matters to our fellow man. Now, as we look at our text, I just want to give you some, some description of what's going on where we arrive at chapter 41. Joseph, 11th son of Jacob, had been a slave from the time he was sold by his brothers. He was 17 years of age when that happened. And here we are, as we pick it up in this text, it's 13 years later. He, has been, he is being granted his freedom. And, and chapter 41 of Genesis is about how Joseph gains his freedom and what he does with it. So let me summarize the text before us, verses 1 through 8. One begins after two whole years. And two years prior is when Joseph was in prison. He was in prison with the officials of Pharaoh's court, the chief cupbearer, the chief baker. Here we are two years later. Pharaoh has had two dreams, and the dreams were deeply troubling to him, and none of his magicians, none of his wise men could interpret them. That's 1 through 8. Verses 9 through 13. In response, the chief cupbearer who is serving him, he remembers two years prior when he was in prison. That's the last chapter. There, Joseph had interpreted his own dream accurately. He also interpreted the dream of the baker. The cupbearer's dream was interpreted that he would be restored to his position. The baker's dream was interpreted that he would ultimately die. Verses 14 through 24. Pharaoh wants Joseph. He wants this dream interpreter to come and help him. So he has Joseph cleaned up and brought to him, and he tells Joseph that no one has been able to interpret his dreams. Then he repeats the dreams to him. We'll go over the details of those in a few minutes. Verses 25 through 33, if you're following along in your Bibles, and I encourage you to do so. Joseph then interprets Pharaoh's dreams. He tells him that the two dreams have one single message. And the fact that the two that there are two dreams and not just one means that it is certain that it is going to happen. This is a message from God. There will be seven years of plenty for Egypt, followed by seven years of famine. From there to verse 36, Joseph then offers his advice as to how Pharaoh should respond. Verse 37 through 49, Pharaoh is pleased with Joseph's proposal and then ultimately gives him the position as second in command and the responsibility to implement his plan for Egypt. Verses 50 through 57, we find there that Joseph is blessed with sons, and then it's a summary of how Egypt has fared throughout the famine and how people from other nations have come to Egypt to buy grain. Now, that's basically a summary of, of chapter 41. And here's, here's the... the the point I want to leave with you, this is what I take away from this. Joseph was freed from prison. He was freed for a purpose. He was freed to serve. And Joseph was able to serve because, and this is my outline for unpacking this, he was able to serve because he was available. Joseph was able to serve because he was wise. And Joseph was able to serve because he was grateful. Be available, be wise, be grateful. Those are the application points as we consider this uh, for our own lives this morning. Now, the initial audience for this 
for this story, the Israelites, they had recently been freed from slavery in Egypt. And so what would they do with their newfound freedom? And for them, Joseph serves as a prototype. For Christians today, Joseph as well serves as a prototype. We, believers in Jesus, have been set free from the consequence and the power of sin. To what end? For what purpose? How? How should we use the freedom that we've been given in Christ? And that brings us to the Scripture passage and the application points I want to make for us this morning. You've been freed to serve, so be available. Be available. Two men, uh, Scott Foster and David Ayers, they, these two men live in different cities, but what they have in common is that they both play goalie in beer league hockey. Now, both have had stellar amateur careers, but neither of them was drafted to play in the NHL. Scott, he's an accountant uh, from the Chicago area, originally hailing from Canada. David is a rink technician, a.k.a. Zamboni driver for the Toronto Maple Leafs. But they have something else in common. They both played in a single NHL game, and they both did so without a professional contract. What they are called is e-bugs. Now, that's not some insect. That's an acronym for an emergency backup goalie. And if you don't know this, NHL teams usually keep two goalies on the roster, and they dress them both for each game. Now, if the starting goalie for either team gets injured, the e-bug is told, get dressed. Now, the likelihood of him playing is very, very low because the team has a backup goalie. Both teams have a backup goalie. He's there just in case both the starting goalie and the backup goalie get injured. The e-bug then steps in. It's incredibly rare. But this happened for both Foster and Ayers. When Foster played his game in Chicago, he suited up for his home ice Blackhawks, and he protected the win for them against the, uh, I think it was the uh, Winnipeg Jets. When Ayers stepped in, he helped the opposing Carolina Hurricanes in their victory against the hometown Leafs. Now, like I said, e-bugs rarely, if ever, play. Their job is to simply sit in the press box, eat the free food, and be available. And most of them take on that responsibility knowing that the opportunity of playing is going to be incredibly rare, but they get to go to the game and watch for free in the press box. How cool is that? An e-bug has to be available. Well, Pharaoh had two dreams, and Joseph was available to interpret. Now, I want to read for us verses 1 through 8, just the details of the dream. Pharaoh dreamed that he was standing by the Nile, and behold, there came up out of the Nile seven cows, attractive and plump, and they fed in the reed grass. And behold, seven other cows, ugly and thin, came up out of the Nile after them and stood by other cows on the bank of the Nile. And the ugly, thin cows ate up the seven attractive, plump cows. And Pharaoh awoke. And he fell asleep and dreamed a second time. And behold, seven ears of grain, plump and good, were growing 
on one stalk, and behold, after them sprouted seven ears, thin and blighted by the east wind, and the thin ears swallowed up the seven plump full ears. And Pharaoh awoke, and behold, it was a dream. So in the morning, his spirit was troubled. Now, if you're like me, you have to try to wipe out your head the Elvis view from the amazing Technicolor dream code of him singing about his dreams. So this is serious business. He, he felt intensely troubled by this. I think Pharaoh understood that this is some kind of message, but he could make no sense of it. Joseph was available. Now, you might be thinking here, well, of course he was. He was in prison. What else did he have to do? But I want to suggest to you that Joseph was available not simply because he was a prisoner and had nothing else to do. He was available to Pharaoh. He was available to serve him and all of Egypt because in the course of his life had led him to this point. Now, I don't want to minimize the fact that Joseph had been set apart by God. He was chosen by God. But in being set apart by the Lord, the Lord prepared him for the service that he was about to enter. Joseph was available because... He was prepared. And part of that preparation, if we look back in the text of the scripture, part of that preparation was his own dreams. Genesis chapter 37. Joseph had two dreams of his own that showed him that he would ultimately rule over his brothers and his father. Scandalous. His brothers hated him for it. Part of the reason why they sold him as a slave. Part of that dream was that Joseph would ultimately be honored by his brothers and father. But then more recently, two years prior to this, Joseph heard the dreams of both the cupbearer and the baker in prison. And it was the cupbearer who ultimately lived, who initially forgot to tell Pharaoh, but now two years later, this comes to mind. The cupbearer is the one that gave testimony to Pharaoh about Joseph. He gave testimony about what he experienced in the prison, and he told Pharaoh in verses 12 and 13. He tells Pharaoh, a young Hebrew was there with us a servant of the captain of the guard. When we told him, he interpreted our dreams to us, giving an interpretation to each man according to his dream. And as he interpreted to us, so it came about. I was restored to my office, and the baker was hanged. Along the way, Joseph had learned that God was specifically revealing aspects of his will through dreams, his own and the dreams of others. So when Pharaoh called him up, he was ready. Joseph was also available because he viewed himself as a steward. So he had been prepared, but he viewed himself as a steward. Now, a steward is, is, someone, who, is someone who manages the resources belonging to another. That's a steward. It's not my stuff, it's your stuff, but I'll take care of it for you. I don't claim any ownership of it, I'll, I'll do my best with it. That's a steward. Joseph proved as a steward that he could be trusted. And this is first in Potiphar's household. We flip back to chapter 39. Joseph found favor in Potiphar's sight and attended him. And he, that is Potiphar, made him overseer over his house and put him in charge of all that he had. He made him an overseer in his house and over all that he had. Listen to that. He is a slave, and he's put in command of everything by Pharaoh's 
by Pharaoh, by Potiphar's decision. Incredible. He was faithful. And then when Joseph was removed from Potiphar's house because of a false accusation from Potiphar's wife in the prison, and the keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all of the prisoners who were in the prison, whatever was done there, whatever was done there, he was the one who did it. The keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge. Now understand, now put ourselves in this, in Joseph's sandals. In both situations, some injustice was done to him to put in the place where he was. He was in Potiphar's household because he was sold as a slave. He was in prison because he was falsely accused by Potiphar's wife of a, of a sexual advance. He could well have been embittered. I'm stuck here in this prison. I don't owe anybody anything. Well, that wasn't his attitude. Instead, what he did was he carried himself in each circumstance as one who is going to give an account to God. Now, think about myself in that circumstance. How would I react? Would I get over the bitterness of being sold as a slave? Would I get over the bitterness of a false accusation? Joseph viewed himself as a steward. And so then when he is called to serve the king of Egypt and interpret his dream, he stewarded his ability to Pharaoh. He told Pharaoh that he was not going to be able to do anything apart from God. Verse 16, when Pharaoh told him the dream, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. God will give it. He says God will give it. He doesn't claim any, any personal insight. He says God will give it. See, Joseph's ability was not something he had apart from the Lord giving it to him. And so apart, sorry, in, in serving Pharaoh and all of Egypt, he, he was stewarding using something that didn't actually belong to him. It was an ability given by God. And get this, and because it was from the Lord, it was for the Lord. Because it was from the Lord, it was for the Lord. Now, if we didn't know the end of the story, we, I don't know, we might wonder, why would the Lord help a nation that might an enemy. In revealing to Pharaoh the Lord's interpretation about the dream, what Joseph was doing in part is he was fulfilling the very blessing that the Lord had given to Abraham. From the beginning, God has intended for his people to be a light to the nations so that as they lived their lives, they would ultimately point others to the Lord. God intended for his people to be a light to the nations. And Joseph functioned as a light to a nation of the goodness of God. Here's the promise to Abraham. I will surely bless you and I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand and on the seashore. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Now that all ultimately would come to pass in the revelation of Jesus, the Messiah of God. But all along the way, the Israelites, the people of God, were set apart in order that they could point the nations to the Lord. 
when Joseph did that. Brothers and sisters in Christ, you and I have been freed from bondage to sin in order to serve the Lord. In order to serve the Lord. We're not free to be free to ourselves. We've been freed to be freed to service to the Lord. There's two times in, in uh, 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul told the believers there, you were bought with a price. Your life has been purchased. If you're a child of God, a great price was paid for your welcome into the family of God. You know this. And if you don't know this, hear this. Jesus died in your place. His human life was offered up for your eternal life. He suffered in his body. He died on the cross so that you could be reconciled to God. So now what? Now that you've been reconciled to God, now what? Be available to serve the Lord. Understand that, that what you do in any given moment could be preparation for some greater responsibility to serve. So what you're doing now, understand, whatever that is, if you're walking obediently, not if you're in rebellion, but if you're walking obediently, if you're, you're seeking the Lord, as minimal as that may seem to you, as maybe unimportant as it might seem to you, whatever you're doing now may be preparation for some greater responsibility. And also remember that whatever is unique to you, your preparation, your inclinations, your personality, your skills, your abilities, your resources, whatever, all of these are from the Lord to be stewarded for his purposes. Peter says this, the apostle in his first letter, as each has received a gift. Notice, he does not say, if you have received a gift. No, as each, that's a given. You have stuff, you have gifts from God. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards, right? You're managers of something that doesn't belong to you. As good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. It was the grace of God that put Joseph where he was. Whether that was in Potiphar's house, the prison, or Pharaoh's court. And because he was available, because he was available to serve, he was a blessing to others, and he, and he brought honor to the Lord. So whatever, whatever you have, time, resources, abilities, these are from the Lord, so they are for the Lord. Be available and let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. You've been freed to serve, so be available. You've been freed to serve, so be Wise, be wise. I, I saw this T-shirt recently. Uh, it has the outline of the state of Oklahoma. Maybe you've seen this. In the middle, there's someone in a lawn chair holding a drink and looking upward. And over the top, it says, Tornado Watch. I, I, I like that. 
I think there's a Nebraska version of it too. It's funny to me because I've been that guy. When the sky turns green and they've reported and the sirens go off, I'm, I go outside and watch. Now, I like, I, I've never been in a tornado, and so maybe I'm a little bit too cavalier, and some would say that's not wise. And I, I, I think I agree. It's not wise. You can't always see it coming. When the sirens sound, they're communicating something of danger that requires an action. And wisdom is proved by what you do in response, right? Now, when Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dreams, what did he do? What did he do? Did he just say, there it is, Pharaoh. Good luck with that. See ya. No, he didn't do that. He offered up a solution. Joseph said, verse 33, now therefore, having interpreted the dream, saying that it's going to be seven years of plenty, then seven years of famine. He gave him the interpretation. Now, therefore, let Pharaoh select a discerning and wise man and set him over the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh proceed to appoint overseers over the land and take one-fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt during the seven plentiful years and let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up grain under the authority of Pharaoh for food in the cities and let them keep it. That food shall be a reserve for the land against the seven years of famine that occur in the land of Egypt, so that the land may not perish through famine. Brilliant plan. Now, it's interesting to me that, that Joseph didn't tell Pharaoh how to be wise. He didn't tell him. He didn't tell him how to be wise and discerning. He said, let Pharaoh a point. And perhaps, and I'm just guessing here, perhaps Joseph was reflecting on his fickle nature. Remember how his cupbearer and baker had offended him and he chucked them in prison? He killed one and, and restored the other. What's the difference? They both had the offense. So pick this one. Perhaps Joseph thought, hmm, Pharaoh needs help. And I don't doubt that in this plan, he's offering up really his own services. Verses 37 through 45, Pharaoh recognizes that Joseph is the discerning and wise man. He then gives him authority over his house and all of his servants, really effectively making him prime minister of the land of Egypt, the second in command over everything. And he even gives him his signet ring, signifying that, that Joseph now has legal decision-making authority. Yet, Pharaoh maintains his kingship. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh. I'm still in charge here. And without your consent, no one shall lift up a hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. So he maintains his place, but says, really? You got it, Joseph. Take care of it. Then, Joseph, uh, sorry, then Pharaoh made sure Joseph was outfitted in the garments, keeping with his station, gave him a chariot, and he ordered. <laughs> this is how much, how much he went, uh, put in for Joseph. He he, he ordered that he should be honored, requiring the people to bow the knee to him. And then to top it all off, he gives Joseph a noble woman, Asnath, to be his wife. So we can see in this that, that, that Pharaoh recognized Joseph's wisdom. Joseph had insight. He had a plan to ensure Egypt's survival. And this would ultimately work for the benefit of Joseph's family as well. We find that out later. They likewise will experience that same famine. Now, there are a lot of things that are part of wisdom. But just looking at Joseph's life, 
What was part of his wisdom? Well, first of all, Joseph was morally upright. A wise person is morally upright. He resisted the sexual advances of Potiphar's wife, even costing him his freedom to serve in Potiphar's house. He ended up being thrown in prison. He paid for it, but he was morally upright. He was wise, and it showed in his uprightness. But he also, his wisdom also showed that, that he served his authorities faithfully. He had proved himself way back when he was a young boy in his father's house. His father honored him for it, gave him that multicolored coat, right? He proved himself ultimately in Potiphar's house, being entrusted with everything. He proved himself in prison, being in charge over all of the other prisoners. And Joseph sought the word of the Lord. Now, there's no needing of dreams today, brothers and sisters. Okay, We don't need to depend on dreams to understand the will of God. We have the scriptures laid out before us, but before the scriptures are written down, God communicated in dreams, and Joseph sought that from the Lord. He sought the Lord who ultimately revealed his will through dreams and the interpretation of them. Wisdom comes from the Lord. It says in, in Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the holy is insight. See, that's where Joseph got his wisdom. He feared the Lord. And so when you seek the Lord, when you submit to the Lord, you're acknowledging that, that he knows all, that he sees all, that he has all the power, he has all the wisdom. And so really, thinking about Joseph, where else should he turn? Where else could he turn? And as you think about your own life as being one who was freed to serve, where else would you turn? Wisdom is from the Lord. You've been freed to serve, so be wise. And third, you've been freed to serve, so be grateful. Be grateful. Now this, I think it might be true of every generation. The older generations tend to be critical of the younger ones. Uh, one of the generalized complaints perhaps you hear about is the boomers complaining. It's like, I'm on the tail end of the boomer. I'm like the last of the boomers. But perhaps you've heard this. The boomers complain that the millennials are entitled, right? They act as if society owes them something. Now, if that is true, who's at fault? Their parents. The boomers, <laughs> right? Of course, entitlement isn't unique to one age group, one generation. The sense of entitlement is really, at its core, a lack of gratitude. If you think you're owed something, you're not a grateful person. But alternatively, one, one who is grateful, one who has genuine thankfulness, you see that in a person, it's a beautiful thing. It's so endearing. You just want to be around a grateful person, don't you? And I think it's true. People who are demanding and entitled, they, they tend to repel others. And I take it from our Bible story that, that Joseph is a grateful man. And you might be wondering how I get there. Verses 50 through 52. This is just some, some details about Joseph's life in the context of the larger story. 
verses 50 through 52. Before the year of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph. Asnath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On, bore them to him. Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. The name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. Now you may be thinking, that doesn't really say anything about his gratitude. I think it's implied here. Joseph had hardship. From 17 years of age to the age of 30, he was hated, sold by his brothers as a slave, then he is in prison for a false accusation, then he is elevated to prominence in Egypt, and in the midst of that prosperity and plenty, he has two sons, and he gives them names. Manasseh. Manasseh, causing to forget. Ephraim, doubly fruitful. And what those names are, are a memorial to what God had done for him. So every time he uttered one of his son's names, every time he heard his son called out, he was being reminded of God's rescue and God's provision. God took me out of captivity. God prospered me. I know it's a small thing, but if you name your son after God's goodness to you, I think that's a real expression of gratitude. And if anything should mark the child of God, it is gratitude. That's Joseph's story. In fact, that's the story of the Israelites who were chosen by God from all of the other nations, set apart. And brothers and sisters in Christ, that is true for everyone who has looked to Christ in faith. God has rescued us. We know something about God. As his children, we know something about him that is unique. We resonate with one of the most repeated sentences in all of the Psalms, which says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. We believe that. He is good. His steadfast love never ends. But we know this too. God owes us nothing good. Nothing. If God were just toward us, if he had been fully fair with us, we complain, that's not fair. You know what? If God is fair with us, that means he is just. And if you're just towards us, we'd be condemned. You and I were conceived in sin, as it says in Psalm 51. We have a record of sin against God that would be impossible for us to enumerate. It would be impossible for us to understand the full depths of our sin against God. Romans 6.23 tells us that the wages, what we have earned from God, that's death. That's eternal separation from God. That's what we're owed. That's justice. And yet, yet because of God's steadfast love towards us, he has shown us mercy. Romans 5.8, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait for us to fix ourselves up. While we were still sinners, 
while we were still rebelling against God, while we were still kicking against his law, while we were still indulging our flesh, while we were still, and you can fill in anything there, you know your sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And what of our sin now? As it says in Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. So now, because of these truths, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I just unloaded some classic memory verses for you there. But these are, these are great comfort to us, but also they're a source for our gratitude. Now, there's a warning. The one who lacks gratitude toward God is in an, in an eternally precarious and dangerous place. Romans 1 highlights this. After the glorious introduction and the thesis statement for, for, for the whole book of Romans, Paul explains the person who lacks gratitude Romans 1.21, for although they knew God, because he has just told us that it's self-evident from everything that's made, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. They didn't honor him as God or give thanks to him. That's weighty. I mean, we're like, oh, you didn't say thank you. Well, you didn't thank God. You didn't honor him as God. You thought you were owed something by God. You thought the universe owes you something. You did not honor him as God or give thanks to him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And then he goes on to describe how God takes the restraints off. And he lets these ungrateful people pursue all manner of self-debasing sin to their own eternal destruction. It's a warning. It all begins with a lack of gratitude. And if that's you, friend, if you have not honored God or have expressed your gratitude towards him, you do not have to remain there. Repent of your sin and turn to Christ in faith. Believers in Jesus, because of Christ and his cross. God has made us forget the hardship of our sin. The eternal consequence for that sin has been taken away. And because of Christ, he has made us doubly fruitful, even in this land of affliction. And I understand where you are this morning. Some of you may be experiencing that affliction that's suffering from, from disease or anxiety, maybe financial insecurity, broken relationships perhaps, betrayal by those we love. But even with that suffering, we have the hope, and this is why we can be grateful. We have the hope of an incomparable glory. There's the stuff, the bad stuff, the suffering, but that cannot be compared to glory. The Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for this light and momentary affliction 
And it is. It is light. In light of eternity, it is light and it is momentary. And remember, Paul, the Apostle Paul is writing from the perspective that he'd been stoned and left for dead. He'd been shipwrecked. He'd been abused. And he says this light and momentary affliction, it's preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Every day, brothers and sisters, we should wake up and thank God for his immeasurable grace and kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Joseph marked his gratitude by naming his sons. How do you express your gratitude to God? In your prayers? Is it in your praise when we come together like this? Is it in conversation with others? Let me encourage you to find ways to express it. Find ways to express and memorialize your gratitude to God. Well, let me wrap this up. Galatians 5, 1 and 13. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. That's sin. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh to indulge your appetites. But through love, serve one another. Through love, serve one another. You've been freed to serve. Through love, serve God and express that service to God by loving and serving others. Joseph was freed to serve. He served Pharaoh in the interpretation of his dreams. He served Egypt in preparing for the famine. But beyond that, he served the Lord. Ultimately, we will see for the rescue of his family from the hardship of a worldwide famine. Later on, the Israelites will be enslaved in Egypt, but the Lord will free them in order that they may serve him and be a light to the nations. And ultimately, through them, usher in the Savior of the world. Again, Christian brothers and sisters, we were once enslaved to sin and its eternal consequence, death. But now, now we have been freed. And to what end? What purpose? To serve God and serve one another. So, simple exhortation. By God's grace, be available. By God's grace, be wise. And because he has been gracious, be grateful. Let's pray. It is only by grace, God, that we stand before you. It is only by grace that we have our sins forgiven. It is only by your goodness and your mercy that you cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. It is only because of your goodness to us that we have anything at all. And so, Father, we thank you for calling us to yourself in your Son. And would you remind us through your word today, by your Holy Spirit, that we've been freed to serve you, that we exist in this world to be instruments in your hand. So teach us in our hearts to be available. Help us to seek you in your word, to be wise. 
And in all that you've done, Father, remind us that it all comes from your hand. Your, it is your goodness. So increase our gratitude so that Christ may be glorified in each of our lives. And as a result, we can be a light to those around us. We pray in Christ's name.